Hello and good evening everybody, welcome back Another week, another time with an awesome man, awesome dude, Mr. Ivan Humble This is Imran Mohammed, one of the hosts for Me and You Education But of course creating the conversation is the podcast itself Guys, we are very honoured to have you today And it's been a heavy week in a lot of ways It seemed like we've just been working ourselves into the ground for some odd reason uh, Maybe that's just me uh, hopefully, uh, I'll have a conversation with uh, Ivan. Ivan, how's your how's your week been, man? It's been quite good, actually. Quite laid back. I had a lazy day today. Uh, batteries recharged. Excellent. Next week, live and as you know, we've got a, as you know we've got a, as you know we've got a busy week next week. We do, we do, we do, we do. I agree with you. Now, guys, we have once again part two. What we're talking about, chapter, the next chapter, guys. We are honored to our uh, to have this amazing guest one once again. It was very nice of him, and it was I'm, I'm we are immensely grateful to him that he's um he said to us that he's gonna do this second session with this part two uh, on creating the conversation podcast. So I'm gonna bring him up. You're already aware of him. This is Jesse Curtis Morton. Welcome, my man. How are you, sir? How are we doing? Are you well? I hope you had a good week. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me again. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, hi, hi, Imran. Hello, mate. How are you doing? How's the family? The kids all right? Everything is good. Excellent. Another oh, week is... Another week of lockdown down, I suppose you could say. I've got to give it to you, you know. you, you There's always something going on in America, isn't it? With this, you know, Megan Harry, uh, Harry stuff going on. It's gone all mad. <laughs> yes, indeed. What are you what are your thoughts <laughs> the on whole that? world the whole world is upside down, but the United States, I think we could argue, maybe takes the cake. Yeah. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's not a single week that goes by and nothing has happened. I'm thinking, what? Another <laughs> And he had to be in Oprah as well. I was like, what? Really? <laughs> it was just mad and it's gone crazy. You know, last year, because of uh, the, the whole issue around the race thing and with the police and you know the black community and all of that, all right? And and George Floyd and all of that was occurred, and suddenly we're back up again. The same issue, the same concern, the same stories. It just got mad. You mm -hmm. know what I mean, I think I think this is a, it's a, it's an ongoing circular type of motion of life, isn't it? Whatever you know, it's, it's happened before it happens again. Uh, Jesse, this week um, we are going to touch on something very very important. Um, Hopefully this week we'll be conversing with yourself about how you found okay a way out of the world of violent extremism. Because mm -hmm. last week we talked about, we discussed about your your life, how it began, your origins, who you are, what your background is. You know, we spoke about your family life, which has been amazing. And guys, those of you who are going to come back to us later on, you can find that particular podcast on Creating the Conversation podcast. Please Check it out. Hopefully, we'll stick it down as well. And you can tap on that and check that out as well. Now, this week, of course, is about this man's removal, finding himself out of violent extremism. And not he didn't only stop there. Well, the beautiful thing about this is he didn't only stop there. He wanted to take others out of that as well. He wanted to help others who are in the place where he was a few years ago. So, Jesse... Last time when we spoke about, we talked about you were you were a recruiter. You had done some some really crazy things, and the right at the end of it, you got slammed. Mm -hmm. Go for it, my brother. 
tell me what happens from there. So I don't recall specifically where we left. I know we talked a little bit about me being in Morocco and uh, being uh, arrested several weeks after Osama bin Laden was killed in Abbottabad and the uh, U.S. government moved to eradicate the playing field thinking the war on terror was over. Uh, we expected a democratization of the Middle East uh, due to the Arab Spring and thought the jihadist threat would wind down. Uh, one of the reasons we thought that was because uh, I myself was picked up uh, and so I was returned after five months in a Moroccan jail where I met Mohammed Fizazi, a first former I had come to contact with in my life and was flown back by private jet to the U.S. where I basically told the truth about how I felt and convicted myself essentially on the ride home. Uh, but when I returned to the United States, I was housed in Alexandria Detention Center, which is the sort of famous place in the United States that housed, you know, Zacharias Moussaoui, Ali Timami. A lot of terrorist cases were there. And uh, as is protocol and process in that facility, I was put in solitary confinement, which essentially means that in the United States, that's 23 and one is what we call it. 23 hours in the cell, one hour out for a shower and uh, a little bit of fresh air every day. Jesse, that must have been really heavy for you. You know, a man who had traveled the world, you had the freedom of the world and suddenly... You're in a place where 23 hours you're stuck. That must be not. It is, and it's a lot different experiencing it than when you're out there telling people uh, as an extremist that you know that you're willing to die for your beliefs or go to prison for your beliefs. But when the shit hits the fan and you're really there, you find yourself uh, challenged and tested. Yes, and um, un unfortunately, I will say, uh, I don't support solitary confinement. Uh, but I do understand where they were coming from. I mean, I was an individual that had the gift of gab and knew the ideology. So to, to put me into general population, there's risks as well, you know. So I get where they were coming um, from. But no, I agree with you. But at the same time, because of the nature of some of the work that we do with individuals who mm -hmm. we call it segregation here, right? So mm -hmm. social confinement. Now yeah. it's something w which has a massive impact negatively upon the mental health of individuals, mm -hmm. yes, uh, and exactly. even even the ability to you know not how mm -hmm. or lose the ability to socialize yeah. with people uh -huh. you know so so they, their behaviors change the way they engage or disengage with you know general society changes and especially if it's a long period of time mm -hmm. and that's Indeed. the thing that's, yeah, it's, it's, it, it does leave a mark how long were you there for how long were you in that particular state i ended i ended up staying in solitary confinement for almost a year and you're right i mean wow. in most countries in the world 23 and one lockdown would be considered a form of torture due to the psychological studies that have been conducted on it. But I, but I was fortunate because again, as a person who had been on the street, as a person who had caused such havoc in taking those street skills and putting them into the realm of radicalization and recruitment, I was kind of able to make my way to a friendly situation where a guard would take me to the law library four days a week during her 10 hour shifts. Right. And at least I could get out at three o'clock in the morning when the jail is shut down and, move around and sit in a law library surrounded by books, which for a long, a, a, a part of my personality has spent a large portion of my life with books. And I found solace uh, in certain moments. And it ended up being a very healthy therapeutic dynamic because I think if there was anyone that I should have talked to in those months, it was me. Wow. Uh, and I had to sit myself down and have a serious conversation. And I also had to put other casts and figures around me and they started to become different people. 
uh, and they were largely only accessible friends that I could have in the moment was a Syrian spy who had spied on behalf of Bashar al-Assad, who was in another cell, an individual who had carried out a jihadist attack and who was uh, housed in solitary like myself, and then another individual who was a leader of MS-13, which is a very big gang here. Um, but apart from that, you know, uh, when I'd be up in the law library, I got to introduce myself to Montesquieu. Uh, I got to <laughs> introduce yeah. myself and work through the work of Descartes, uh, worked through John Locke, fell in love with Thomas Paine, uh, enlightenment thinkers, and really understood for the first time in my life with depth and detail, uh, why for all of its imperfections, uh, the American system and the democracy that I considered to be shirk and uh, forbade people from participating in was certainly superior to uh, uh, the top-down authoritarian ideology that I myself held. And that's See, you know that, that, Jesse, you know, that is a phenomenal awareness and realization by you. Because a, major, a lot of people who tend to go down this um, ideology or get influenced by this particular ideology, um, Nine times out of ten, nine times out of ten, they don't fully understand where they are. Mm -hmm. Because what I have yeah. seen is that a lot of people who have these particular ideologies, it's mm -hmm. like when they were radicalized or when they came across individuals who were recruiters, mm -hmm. they had given them a particular narrative, mm -hmm. right? So these individuals latched onto that narrative. Mm -hmm. They don't know anything. They don't know. They don't know the nuances. They don't know the other aspects and elements. Or they might know one or two or four verses of the Quran or Hadith or whatever, it is, just to justify that particular ideology. And look mm -hmm. what you've done. You're getting an opportunity to delve into your psyche, delve into your, you know, the society that you were living in. Like you said, a society that you consider to be shirk, you know, association with God Almighty. How dare you? You're war in this place. What are you doing? Why are you giving? And you know that what is God's into man's hand for? Mm -hmm. You understand? But mm -hmm. to, 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 but even you know, for me, this is amazing. Like even for you to pick up a book to try to understand that, that's like what compelled you? Just the love of books. Or was well, I mean, else? yeah, I mean, when you're a, I mean, everybody that adopts a role inside of an extremist movement picks that role uh, largely because of their own personal background. So while I was radicalizing, I also, Islam gave me stability. And as I said, I went to college. I ran an outpatient substance abuse treatment program in Brooklyn, New York for eight years. I graduated from Columbia University with a degree in international relations. So I was always interested wow. in the ideas. And most people that are part of extremist movements don't latch onto the ideology where they dive all the way in. But the radicalizer, the recruiter, the propagandist certainly does. So I always had this thirst and this aspiration. And as we discussed last week, it was modeling my life on the uh, trajectory of Malcolm X. And one of the key legacies or principles of life that Malcolm's analysis and understanding Malcolm's life because the people that we hold dear to there's their life stories they leave an imprint on us and we don't Usually. we don't recognize how much the stories that we hear like Quran says you know that in the stories of the prophets are you know a, a system of guidance for of you and it understands that the single story of Isa bin Maryam or Yusuf alayhi salam it prints itself on you and it will have implications for your behavior. And Malcolm's strength was the sense that he was able to, in my opinion, be a criminal and announce immediately and go full blown with such conviction 
into a new way of life with the nation of Islam, and then to rise and to be a person of prominence uh, in the national media and international media, but to go to Mecca yeah. and to leave alone his false ideas about black nationalism and white man is the devil and black man is God immediately and to betray his leader and his cult leader, in fact, and no, to exit the cult, you know, so... No, no, yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you, Jesse, look. But the thing is, there are certain people who are inclined towards extremities. There are people like that. Mm -hmm. Some people love being an extreme. Now, you just picked to Malcolm X, just for, hold for a second. He did go from one extreme to the other extreme. Yeah, 100%. Right? He went from, he did. So yes. there was, it had to be a journey of extremity yes. first. Mm -hmm. well, so... He came from one extreme, which was, you know, whatever life he was having, if the pimp, mm -hmm. if the drug dealer, he was whatever he was, get slammed. Mm -hmm. And then he found the other extreme. Yes, he right? did. And didn't even realize it. And I had too, right? So my transformation was the same way, but I could have chosen any interpretation of Islam, right? But the interpretation of Islam that I went toward was this idea of social justice Islam. But because of my own sort of trauma, my own sort of pain, my own sort of rejection of my society and throwing hate in the other direction like Malcolm did, but the context in which that occurred, being born when the 9-11 thing, or being uh, converting right before 9-11 and finding Islam uh, to uh, be a lens through which I could potentially understand a mass event like September the 11th, 2001, and to feel betrayed and then gravitate towards jihadist Islam was going from one state of hate to another, but here's the reality is, it's not really what you latch onto outside of yourself, because what you latch onto outside of yourself is a direct reflection of who you are and how you feel about yourself, right? And that's what's really crucial to understand in doing what they call de-radicalization work. I don't, I don't know, you know, it means everything for different people and, you know, it's not about that, but dealing with self-hatred um, is really the reason a lot of times that people find you know, this frustration, anger, animosity. There's a saying with self at the end of the day. Yeah, Jesse, there's a saying amongst the Arabs in it: "Man arafa man arafa nafsahu, qad arafa rabbah." Whoever knows their self, yes, uh -huh. knows his Lord, mm -hmm. which is yes. the ultimate unknown to us. Mm -hmm. In a way, what what I do see amongst individuals who become radicalized or people people who uh, go down this particular path of radicalized, you know, extremism or whatever, whatever type. It might be anything else. It might have someone who become obsessed with botany, for example. I don't know whatever it is. Yeah, something that they become obsessed over. Mm -hmm. There is naturally there is a sense of loss of that person. They lose themselves within that. Yes, yes, they lose it to the group, and they lose their ability to individualize themselves, and that's really associated with keeping you at a lower level of self. So like tribalistic natures of living where you're in your ethnic group or your tribe or your collective of the guruba, the strange ones who will be always fighting until the day of judgment and 72 sects from amongst the believers, only one of which is in the Jannah. And all of this philosophy is to make you and feed your narcissistic superior needs. But that's your tribe. But if you can not belong to a tribe and individualize yourself at the same time and you're affected by groupthink, then that means you don't really know who you are. Yes. And you are just absorbing uh, what you are belonging to because it's giving you needs that you don't know how to give to yourself. And that's the real problem with leaving extremist movements. You, 
people leave extremist movements all the time and go into one other level of extremism and they <laughs> don't even realize it. And yeah. Ivan, you know, and you, you can't really say that out loud that much these days, you know, because you do have very touchy, uh, sensitive uh, uh, young people uh, that have not yet necessarily experienced enough pain in life to know what it is to be an adult and to think with nuance. And hopefully someday they'll learn how. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it happens all of the time. And so the person can still be an extreme person and a narcissist is always going to be a narcissist. If they're a narcissist in jihadism, they're going to be a narcissist when they leave. Right. But really the, uh, necessity is to learn your, to know yourself. And that takes us back to that cell in solitary confinement yes, because I had to individually make choices because I was faced with this idea that I didn't have to think about my future because my future was going to be in a federal prison. You know, my idea was, do you just give up and go with this? Even though in Morocco and in the run up to the year before you were arrested, you knew you were wrong or do you not for the sake of anybody but yourself try to retain this idea that, and quite frankly, it started with the idea that we are created, we will be resurrected, God will hold us accountable for our deeds, and we are only uh, as good as our deed that we die on. So it was a firm okay. commitment to Islam that allowed me to open up that seed to reform myself. Okay, Jesse, one sec then. See, now what you are doing is de-radicalizing. Mm-hmm. Right? disengaging first and disengaging. working yeah taking I, my disengagement started when i left the country and i went to morocco and i didn't even realize i was doing it i was just taking myself outside that group think that community that you talk about and when i get these kids out of like neo-fascist groups online and i get them alone on twitter or in dm because a lot of them don't like to talk on the phone and be like you know face to face or whatever they're completely different people than they are when they're in the group yeah, and of that, course, and yeah. I have the same experience. You know, I, I know mm -hmm. Ivan did as well. Where I, when I come across people who are part of a gang or part of a particular team or whatever it is, it's the same psychology that's working there. Yeah. When you remove them from that comfort zone or group identity, mm -hmm. and you take them on an individual level, you, you start seeing the immense vulnerabilities. You mm -hmm. see things where they lapse in, they lack in. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what's really interesting. In a way, like you said, I understand the solitary confinement, the segregation, the removal of an individual from general society to work with them. Mm -hmm. Right. I get it. Mm -hmm. And I understand all of this thing about, you know, individual um, uh, interventions that we do and etc. that work. But sadly, many of these individuals, right, um, and truthfully speaking, they, they are on the spectrum. They were on the autistic spectrum. This we is found, increasingly true, yes. Yes, yes. we have found, we have found yes. that, and this is a reality of the situation, we have found that the individuals that are being, are, are attracted, not all, let me, let me be very clear, not all, but there's a high percentage of individuals mm -hmm. who are on the spectrum, uh, you know, may have certain type of traits from the spectrum, uh, autistic traits, um, etc. And, 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 and because of that, these extremist organizations have honed into these people. Mm -hmm. yes. And yeah. give them, so how do you, how would one, because the thing is, guys, all of you listening at this moment, we're going to share with you some of the amazing work that Jesse does. It's feminine, amazing. You know what I mean? It's just out of this world. Not only with the Islamists, of course, with the far right as well. And, and one of them, of course, is no doubt light on uh, light upon light online. Uh, um, uh, it's a website. It's a lot of work that you can see. You can see a lot of stuff that he does that are 
accounts there are people's case studies that he's done and there's some a bunch of other stuff as well which we're going to touch on throughout the whole thing as well but jesse before we go there uh-huh. i want you to i want you to shed some light on what i've just said regarding that there's, there's a high percentage or there's a percentage of individuals who have autistic traits well i mean it yeah, depends upon what milieu you're talking about so mental health prevalency is something that has been you know looked at uh prolifically uh to some degree in the literature on uh, extremism and radicalization studies. It has some incongruencies, but it definitely has distinctions between groups. So, and it also has distinctions between context and place. But when we're talking about Western radicalization in countries like the UK and the United States, we are, I mean, we just got done doing polling inside the involuntary celibate community and we're seeing like 30% diagnosed with 30% more that believe they would be diagnosed. So that's, a unique population with a unique set of characteristics and a unique context and a unique grievance. When we talk about jihadism, the mental health is a little bit more inconclusive because it's hard to determine, as you know, Imran, in the Muslim community, to go to see a psychiatrist for assistance is not exactly something that you would do. It's too much stigma. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And increasingly less so, but amongst fundamentalists and people that are you know, adhering to that. But, you know, and on the far right, you're right. I mean, it looks like we're looking at like one fifth to a quarter even of these young people that are falling for uh, not the radical right, but the extreme neo-fascist Adam Waffen, you know, the base type. The very black um, and white. The leaderless resistance, Turner Diaries, emulators, and the ones that want to. And that's because of the mentality of the... uh, of the condition and the real conundrum when you're working with someone, and I've done it, you know, several times now uh, as an interventionist is you really have to take deep appreciation for the fact that there are no therapeutically backed evidence-based interventions with regard to working. Uh, There's some recommended guidelines, but there's no real understanding. And what I've found is that um, it's really important to try to appreciate their tendency to hyper-focus on a particular issue and not to necessarily be combative, but to offer them a menu and a selection of looking at things differently that then immediately you attach to something that inundates them with something new to be interested in. So that requires listening. And I have seen uh, an individual uh, who was young, uh, not even an adult, uh, that worked with me in private in just on Twitter because typically doesn't want to uh, talk, uh, on, you know, online and whatnot. And I have seen conversations steer into the uh, into the realm of like talking about the hard sciences, and it started with conversations about race science on Twitter. And, yeah, and back and forth race science. And and I get burned out when I tweet because I don't use Twitter as like a means of my primary. I use Twitter when I'm exhausted at the end of the day and or if I have something to say. So when I DM on Twitter, I'm exhausted. And What's that, 160? Are, well, are, you, are you conversing in like 160, 160 characters or something? No, I'm talking DM. I'm talking oh, private DM, DM, interventions. DM. Yeah, yeah, you can do whatever you want in there. I, I just use voice to text. I can't, man. I, I, I don't <laughs> know how they do it, man. The young kids, man. So anyway. no, 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 no. But then again, see, see, that's another thing. You know, the online world, especially the Twitters and the Facebooks and whatever, mm-hmm. when when individuals are conversing on that particular platform, there is no nuance. Well, it's a problem because of the lack of social connection associated with the presence of a digital. You might see somebody on a screen, but we know that it's not the same as human touch. And this is something that has 
become so common and prevalent. And now COVID has exacerbated it for us all. And what, you don't feel it because it's little trauma over time. And the, the generation that we're dealing with that are coming up now, 21 and younger especially, have spent their entire lives with this. And the primary means of communication, even with regard to like com- discomfort in interaction with member of the opposite sex or the same sex, if that's what you're you know, attracted to or whatever is totally distinguished. They have a persona that's online and then they have a persona that's offline. And there's a lot of isolation, loneliness and deep rooted pain. But the online arena is a place where they're going to feed their dopamine. They need the need dopamine. And so in the same way that drugs attract people because they release oxytocin and dopamine, dopamine and oxytocin lead you to search for love. And the way they have the likes and the retweets and all of that, you're looking for love online through retweet and like and through a digital sort of attempt to replicate reality and social connection in the real world. And then the oxytocin makes you want to belong to a group and the tribalism inside of us and the neuroscience allows us to be predisposed to echo chambers. And so our tribalism sets in and we become part of the echo chamber. And we like to point out that extremists are all in echo chambers and that they engage in groupthink and that the confirmation biases that extremist recruiters play off of, you know, are con- we, well, actually there's not a lot of work on that, but we're doing that work right now, which is very interesting. Uh, and, uh, and, um, uh, but at the end of the day, we all do it. Right. Oh, we, are. So, we are all yeah. in our kitchen. Yeah. yeah. And these people have grown up with it. So like this individual, like this is the, this is understanding like the, 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 the need to transition. And we'll talk about this when we talk about our mod that our modality for control, alt, delete, hate paradigm for messaging and for personal change. It, this individual wanted to talk about race science. And so what we had to do in order to talk about race science, and race science is fascinating because as soon as you start to categorize people into race, which is, you know, a scientific process, you're scientizing humanity. The problem is, is you have to come up with a method through which you define who's black, who's brown, who's Asian, because we're living in a world that's increasingly intermixed. And no matter how you divide it up, the differences inside of any group, right, are much more diverse than the differences between any group. And so for a person that has a mathematical inclination, you just have to go there. And I, from from there, you can rejuvenate an interest in science and give them alternative perspectives. And that's a Jesse, person who's on the spectrum. For other people, that would just make them shut down. They would hate you. Because they would feel Jesse, like you were Jesse, challenging hold, their hold superior your ideas. One second. Jesse, mm-hmm. hold your toe one second. Because there's a lot that you're giving us at this moment in time. Right? Now... One of the key things is one of the most difficult things for people, generally for people to understand, is the process. Because look, you are going into a lot of detail around how human beings' mind works, mm-hmm. yeah. internal aspects. If you're present what, and you yeah. think about what, why what, people do what yeah. they do. Yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the different aspects and elements, okay? Sure. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people, the, the one of the biggest problems that we've had, and of course we'll touch on other aspects and elements, is that people are like, how can they be so extreme? How can they latch on to this extremist ideology? They live in the West. Mm-hmm. They have all yeah. the luxuries of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, they can do whatever they want. They mm-hmm. have all these freedoms. Why would they want to choose a very extreme way of living? Mm-hmm. It's not a choice. It's subconscious. It's unconscious. Ah. Help me with that. Come on, help me to understand that. The because overwhelming you are, uh, portion of things that we do 
uh, are uh, unconscious. Most of the things that go on in our brain, that's really the problem is there's a lack of mindfulness and an ability to take a choice between stimulus and response, exasperated by the overutilization of technology, exasperated by a culture that teaches and engenders narcissism, a fascination with reality TV shows where even the most basic people can become overnight sensations and the focus of attention is everybody craves attention. And unfortunately, in the real world, apart from what the culture is portraying, portraying through the entertainment world, people are not having their needs met and they don't have healthy social connections. People are not engaging in sexual intercourse, long-term relationships, the anxiety levels, the depression levels. The So we know that the world that we are building is not healthy and not conducive to prosperity. And that in and of itself will make a person take all of those anxieties that they deal with because things are not as they want them to be. And then instead they'll blame the external world for their lack of self-control and they begin to hate everything outside of their self. But like I said, it's just a projection of hate. And then the randomness of the universe comes into play. And if that individual haphazardly bumps into someone who uh, is a part of a positive group, they can heal but they typically would be much more uh, prone and inclined to join a social movement that is you know, expressing the same grievances that they have affected and giving them a reason and an excuse to be bitter. And yeah. it plays off the vulnerabilities and the needs, right? So in order to be a good interventionist, you have to exercise a whole lot of empathy because to say that human beings that are in this condition are sleepwalking, right? And then to see them as culpable, but to be able to forgive them immediately because you understand their condition and you can feel them is something you cannot teach. You can't but it's teach. something that if someone's been in these movements, then they have yeah. a lot of value with regard to understand how to, I'm sure Ivan can do the same thing. I sit down with an individual, I make assessment within 20 minutes, I already know what I'm dealing with, but um, even if it's just online, uh, but I reserve judgment because that's the definition of true empathy is not to pass judgment nor to hold yourself as if you have an ability to be and function like a psychic. And I just listen. But a lot of times it's basically what I, I think, Ivan, I don't know if you agree, but you can pretty much see what the dynamics are, how committed the individual is, the factors, just from a look on the face because it's a ability to peer into the soul. When you recruit people for jihadism, you have to touch their spirit. And when you learn how to recruit and touch spiritual selves, especially from amongst the vulnerable, you understand for certainty beyond all reasonable doubt that like people are so, whether it's because of evolution or whatnot, people need spiritual needs met, Yes, you know, and that's something oh, our society doesn't achieve yeah. very well. Just, well, Jesse, you know, we have, we have uh, the hierarchy of, uh, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we have to require, we have to fulfill the base requirements and needs first mm -hmm. before we can get something out of that person. Mm -hmm. uh, guys, you're listening to Creating the Conversation podcast. Uh, we are with Jesse Curtis Morton, uh, an individual who is, his background is that he became uh, an individual who became a recruiter for Islamist organizations and he has lived a very extreme lifestyle and how he kept today's conversation is around how he came out of all of that and how he helps others to also come 
out of that at the moment as at, at, at this moment in time guys you've been listening to how jesse tends to do this uh, within the first approximately half an hour of our conversation i'm going to bring in ivan into this and i'm going to say ivan what jesse's been saying does that resonate with you as well and do you also see this and of course jesse does work with the far right as well but because you have come from that background how do you or what are your perspectives and views on what's been spoken about today I think doing this work that we do, we have like a, a sixth sense kind of thing. It's like a, like a special gift, I call it, because not everybody can do what we do. Because the talking's the easy part. It's like I've always said, that listening is because you're going to hear things that go against everything your moral compass stands for. But you can't judge that person because believe what he's saying so who am i to doubt him instead of breaking down that conversation through showing a bigger picture because i remember uh, ivan that you there was a young man that you you said yourself who was in fact who had come after you online and in fact could you share that with our audience as well and how what approach you wanted to take and what you suggested to the police regarding that do you remember that Yeah, I remember. Um, as you know, Jay, everybody likes what we do. So I got a death threat, and it wasn't. It was. It got more along the point, so they wanted to break my daughters. So obviously, I had to hand over to police. They did arrest somebody for it. I didn't want him charged. I wanted to try the historical justice way to go have a conversation with him. Um, it took quite a while to do, but. In the end, my disappointment, they turned. So then they just, then they got charged for a stupid offence that could have been sorted out by a conversation. Because we've all been there, we've all written something angry online. So who was I to judge, do you know what I mean? But as you get threats, you have to take some serious, don't you? You do definitely, my man. And the thing was, and in this particular case, both of you... Uh, Jesse and, and Ivan, I want to bring this in because I think some of the amazing work that you are doing, Jesse, is, is something that the world needs to know about. Um, guys, what you're looking at in front of you on the screen is lightuponlight.online. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the great work that Jesse has been doing, his team has been doing. Um, because the thing is, he went from a man who radicalized and groomed people towards extremity. Now he's doing something which is the right opposite to that. Jesse, how did that happen? Tell me what changed, please. Well, I'm, we'll go through a, a short version to get to light upon light. In 2011, as I was returned to the U.S., by 2012, uh, I had completely started to reconfigure and open up, thinking I would spend the majority of my life in prison. But I was ultimately uh, sentenced to 11 and a half years in, in a federal prison in the United States. And it was around the time that they were trying to do CVE like you guys had done Prevent over in the UK already. The Obama administration was trying to do the 2011 Strategic Implementation Plan for Countering Violent Extremism. Syria was starting to look more and more like it was going to be less an Arab Spring that would democratize the Middle East and like something that was going to reignite problems. Uh, and uh, 
through uh, a transformation that happened in the library uh, and finding out about the terrorist plot in jail and people asking me questions about countering violent extremism and how to achieve uh, certain successful uh, mechanisms to do so and people wanting to know about risk. I mean, I started to communicate with the U.S. government and I started to be very open about certain things like the fact that uh, certain cases and practices here in the United States were problematic and counterproductive, particularly in the overutilization of informants and not having things like non-criminal interventions for people like de-radicalized former extremist operators. And a lot of people thought the same way and were saying the same things. But uh, my uh, insider's knowledge was very appealing to them uh, because I was able to put it together holistically, multidimensionally, build out a risk assessment tool. And then my students started appearing in, in Syria uh, and became prominent radicalizers and recruiters. They took my magazine model uh, that we developed here in the U.S., made it, made Dabiq, made Rumia. They were instructing Americans to attack uh, random places, uh, creating recipes for bombs and conveying them to the United States. And um, they thought uh, that I would never de-radicalize. And so I helped make sure that some of those plots were thwarted. And I was released right after uh, Barack Obama announced the uh, global war against the uh, ISIS uh, uh, the uh, you know the the Islamic State uh, and uh, the in response to the beginning of that on uh, that coalition's uh, onset of yes. working to take back the caliphate, um, they were beheading Americans left and right. And so I returned to society March two thousand and fifteen, and I operated in, in a way where I was trying to impart a better education amongst those that are responsible for assessing and analyzing information and trying to determine if an individual is a threat or if they're just a loudmouth or what the case but may Jesse, be. But Jesse, you became the enemy. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. I mean, from that old milieu, like from that, from the extremist perspective, and in, in, even in general with regard you to eating, anti- You were eating from the hands of the enemy. Well, you if you saw- pawn, You became the pawn of the system. Well, that was, that's one way to look at things until you get on the inside of the system. And that's why it's important to have experience. For example, if you want to be a white kid and help African-Americans with their legitimate struggles, it would be important to have actually known an African-American from the communities that you're trying to liberate first before you speak in their name. That's the utter uh, problem with the world that we live in today. And that's just one example. I saw firsthand when the FBI came to me, I had to do a debriefing process to get a plea bargain. And they weren't waging a war against Islam. They were very curious. They were interested in understanding. And when they saw that I had already started to change, the conversations shifted to one of like, hey, we would really like to make sure that like nobody that you radicalize goes on to become a terrorist in the domestic home front. And, um, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with uh, with um with understanding the world in a way that's full of grace. And I saw it firsthand. I know for a fact that cops are not corrupt, that the people that are trying to understand domestic terrorism now are going to be accused of the same thing. They attack DHS buildings every day. And I know the people at DHS now yeah. personally are trying to develop so mechanisms Jesse, to make our society better. Jesse, so when you see, see I, that, you easily start. It's part of your de-radicalization process. It, it truly is. But Jesse, look, the, thing I'm ha the problem I'm having at the moment is this. You said yourself, you go, I had my students. Mm. They were in Syria, mm -hmm. right? People who mm. are learned from you. Yeah. They saw you as the guru. They saw you as the sheikh. They saw you as, you know, the, the one who would never turn his back towards, you know, against, against. As, no, no, yeah. no, no, I'm, yeah. no I'm, using, I'm using the terminology. As a comrade. Which is used, yeah. Yeah, that's, as, a as a comrade. Yeah. As someone mm. that, you know, being there, he gave us the ideology. He gave us that way of thinking. He showed us what the path is. Now mm -hmm. suddenly, he's turned his face at it.
Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, but that must have that must have really gone down bad. Oh, when I first came public, but I uh, yes, for sure. I mean, here's the the complicated parts of uh, my process uh, are that eventually I had to I I I it was either go public as America's first former jihadist or allow a smear campaign in the Washington Post to essentially destroy the rest of my life. So as I went back into society, I continued to operate uh, as an analyst, uh, as someone who was able to gather intelligence. And then one day I went online and I said that uh, I had been released early because I fought my case in court. Uh, my old sheikh, uh, Abdullah Faisal, took me at my face value, put me right back into the network. And eventually I was outed as someone who worked as a, it worked in a case where they were going to behead someone at a muffler shop. Uh, and we interjected an attempted beheading. Uh, and when that case went to court, it was revealed that I worked as the informant and the Washington Post put me out there and said, so you went, you went covert. Yeah. Mm -hmm, covert operation. Uh, it took me a long time to explain to people that, um, Nobody would ever believe that I de-radicalized, but I became a very committed uh, person, not necessarily to the side of, because there is no side of a democratic nation state. I became committed to the system wow. that we were just dedicated to destroying because through all of its imperfections, uh, one with the birth of ISIS could have, re well, it was... It was just the onset that you could not change the fact that we were trying to fight and arrest our way out of a problem we could not fight and arrest our way out of. And my thinking started to become one of that was really full of grays between blacks and whites. And I really appreciated getting able to be back in that space of individualization that we discussed with a group. I was my, I was only me. My ex-wife is a fundamentalist, shunned me, called me Kafir for what I did. My community that was Muslim and my identity that was Muslim, I was able to, uh, you know, uh, s understand some things that did not necessarily jive well with me about a culture versus a religion. I started to pick apart pieces of myself again by understanding the world and my commitment and my conclusions, having read the founding fathers of the United States and looked at the world that the United States built in the post-World War II ambit is that if we continued to fight this war, the war on terror, the way that we were fighting it, we were going to destroy our own system. And not bin Laden nor Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi was going to be the victor. The victor was going to be totalitarian regimes awaiting in the wings in Russia, China, and Iran, you know, as a coalition. And I don't, having, you know, seen what it's like under authoritarianism i don't want to live in a world like that and we really are at that point and so my position with the resurrection of isis was now we have an opportunity here for me to do some good and to make amends at that level but also behind closed doors we were talking about developing countering violent extremism in a proper way here in the united states right also i was privy to sit with academics and to discuss things and i got very interested in understanding my own radicalization by understanding what other people said about it and what other people were doing about it. And did what you, I found did, was that most of what yourself, was being done and thought of was completely uh, lacking expertise. No, did you yourself go through psychological intervention as well? 
No, uh, in the United States, it's not very easy to get mental health care. There was a time when I did, you know, so I came out in 2015 from jail and I uh, operated, like I said, I was out in the Washington Post. And then I started to have conversations with George Washington University's program on extremism about going public as a research fellow. Uh, and I thought that my life was, it was a very difficult reintegration process. I was divorced. Uh, I was with an alcoholic uh, who would drink and I still hadn't, you know, drunk. She would beat me when she was drunk. Um, I went through a lot of stress and trauma and like not knowing what the future was going to be. Then I'm outed in the Washington Post. And I was uh, thinking that I was resilient enough to make it through all of that. So um, I couldn't get mental health treatment when I came home from jail, not consistently, at least because of uh, you, we don't have universal health care here in the U.S., you know, so it's really hard for men. Yeah, uh, Obama, that, Obama, Obama cave was kicked out, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and and it was a it was a process, and even even then, Obamacare was different because you still had to like work to be eligible, and each right. state got funding. But I was living in Virginia, and these are all it made it complicated. But it was it you know it it, it was it, it 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 was something that should have occurred to me, but it didn't until I took a job at Program on Extremism. I went public, front page New York Times, PBS NewsHour, CNN primetime piece, all on the first day. Here's a former jihadist and i was n not just your typical like jihadist you know so my case was kind of uh you must prominent. have been you must have been lapped up by all of the corporations then didn't you did i what they, they lapped you up do you understand they picked you well, up the, new, like, the okay, news media yeah. took it yeah the news media took it but the, not to you know it took me a year to get hired for people to trust me enough to uh, consider hiring me i had people stick up for me at the school that i was going to be hired at but the story when i went public was not that i was reformed the story was that george washington university hires a terrorist and the story that was in the new york times was that i was abused as a child and what nobody really recognized except for jessica stern at harvard university uh was that um uh, I was um, re-traumatized uh, and I needed to get trauma treatment. And if I didn't, I was going to blow up. She literally sent an email to my bosses and my bosses kindly asked me, you know, is this true? Like, and, um, and I said, um, no, because I thought I was a tough guy, you know, and uh, I relapsed on cocaine. So wow. uh, out of nowhere and threw away like the opportunity of a lifetime, like the, the, the institution that I'm talking about does such good work um, and they're really good people and I really like to get to know them, but I could not get myself together enough to, 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 to do so. And I really hurt myself and relapsed and got arrested and ended up right back where I came from. And that was the most depressing thing to have tried to de-radicalize and then to figure out that the trauma that led to the addiction that the ideology that you adopted became the addiction. Became you were addicted to extremism. And as soon as you took your addiction to extremism, you didn't know nor have the skill set to not be addicted to something. So eventually all you did was go back to what you knew before you picked up Islam. So Islam was my opiate. And I wow. never really understood my own religion. Like, See, and I didn't, is, I didn't let it heal me the way that it yeah. could have. And that is, was yeah, a key takeaway. Truly. And I think, Jesse, look, I think, see, this is a difficult one for especially people who are not from the faith, for probably. Mm -hmm. they go, this is the religion, and because they have a certain narrative, okay? mm -hmm. and and I know Ivan tends to talk about this a lot. That I uh, got radicalized by Anjam Chaudhary, and I had a particular narrative, and I saw this religion not as a religion but as an ideology. Do you understand? Once Ivan, 
once you started to understand that it was a religion, what changed? No, not you. I'm talking about Ivan. Yeah, I know. It's just a delay on the screen. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, you're talking can to me. Can you hear Rhodes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ivan. Uh, yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, you're back. Yeah. Mm. The question was, the yeah, question I'll, was around. I've always said it's yeah. tragic and that was that. Around charity, yeah. So I yeah, that you had a charity, and I become knowledgeable on his interpretation of Islam. It was his interpretation of Islam that I become knowledgeable on, because around where I live, I didn't have Muslims. I didn't know nothing about Islam until I researched him. Well, to see, that's kind of how me and Jesse hooked up. We done a joint article wow. for the Independent, I believe it was. One of Jesse. Say, say, say it again, Ivan. I'm sorry. There's a delay on my end. Yeah. So after after I said that, Chad, I think I said we online, weren't it? We did the article for Lizzie Dead and yeah. the Independent. Uh -huh. Yeah, I reached out. I reached out to you because I understood that it's very important to tell these narratives about reciprocal radicalization. And your case is a perfect one. And like we still now that we have recently established an ability to try to take our parallel networks light upon light philosophy to the UK, like uh, we we are hoping that Ivan and Imran, I'd be open to you uh, participating as well, can help us expand what we have established here in the US abroad. So and this yeah, is this I mean, exactly what it is. Guys, this is something that we've seen, and I think this is exactly what uh, Ivan and Jesse are both talking about. So, Jesse, shed some light on this. On the phone, uh, light upon light. Where did that come from? What is it all about? Tell me the project. Well, one of the things that I took away from my experiences, and it's a very long discussion, is that one of the problems of the countering violent extremism world is that it counters. And uh, to counter something is to be completely reactive to it, not proactive. And then the other problem that I found is that largely what is not unperceived by people that believe that they have been de-radicalized, when you get to know these people and you get to know the people that are in the field, quite frankly, you start to see that for a large portion of the field, it's about money. Uh, they don't know what they're talking about. Uh, they couldn't have a real-time conversation about radicalization if their life depended on it. And for a lot of quote unquote, former extremists, they've not healed and gone through the process that it takes to go and they've gone from one extremism to another. And so the problem is, is that the whole field is based upon faulty assumptions with regard to the theories of why people would want to disengage or de-radicalize. It's full of uh, fraudulent notions. It's full of false fox science. And I don't mean to say that other than it's true. I, I, I believe if you see a fraud and you don't say it's a fraud, you're a fraud. You know, and so I think it's important if you really want to have something as righteous as a field like this, which is trying to save lives, there should be a lot of integrity and there's a lot of using and abusing and manipulation. And it's a it's a it, 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 it's a joke. So in looking at that and understanding some of those limitations, what you see is that it's really not tackling the problem of hate or extremism in a way that is saying anything other than like you're wrong we're right yeah 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 it's a, it's addressing a problem in a very linear xy Dem the idea of demonos is perpetuated again yes exactly so what light upon light is is it's a playoff of where i have come to 
in consciousness because I love Islam because it's compatible with science and academia and intellectualism. It's consistent with the scientific method. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, in the reality, the practice of Islam has gone away from being able to contribute to those discussions. And I found that the most beautiful way for me to understand the nature of my intellect and all of our consciousness's connection to God is in that beautiful verse from Surah An-Nur. You know, Nur ala Nur, the light mm -hmm. upon the light is a description of the seven layers of Allah as if he's a niche in a small room leading into a book. And then inside of that glass is the glass jar and inside of that is the wick and the wick that burns is the fire and all of these things that are related to the true illumination ending in the olive oil. Right, and that Allah's Allah outside of time and space is the one that delivers the consciousness, and uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful parable metaphor min for. Zulmi, min ila nur. Absolutely, no, yes, from uh, darkness into uh, into light as well, and and so, uh, but there's also a great statement from someone that really taught me a lot about the design of the universe, and one who rejected the idea that everything is random, and that was Albert Einstein. And he has a great quote where he says that no problem has ever been solved at the same level of consciousness that created it. Wow. And I found that those two things merge. And I wanted to keep an Islamic identity with what I did because I love my religion and I love what it has given to me. So Light Upon Light.online is just a hosting space for what we call our parallel network philosophy, which takes preventing and countering violent extremism programming connects it to the underlying conflict polarization hate different than extremism because extremism is behavioral hate is an idea it's very hard to measure it's subjective in so many ways and extremism and looks at their intersections but provides programming on every level of the social service spectrum from prevention to strategic messaging to counter messaging alternative messaging to interventions and interventions into psychosocial mental health supports and building out new groups and then into the realm of prevention and we've built out a branded ecosystem that has a program on each of those and different than other entities we don't just do counter messaging yes. we link counter messaging to interventions and interventions to psychosocial support and we have an entire program and a spectrum of programming and over the last Two years, we launched Light Upon Light Dot Online coincided to the launch of me taking back those English language magazines that I created and creating a reformist product. That was in July of 2000 and, hmm, 2019. Uh, we launched uh, on, the on the fifth anniversary of ISIS's caliphate as it was falling, Ahl Taqwa. That project went so well in Telegram and being able to be the first counter-narrative product that was disseminated inside of the clandestine network. So everybody was counter-messaging then on YouTube and doing some things on Facebook. So let as well, me, but we so had let me share this. Let me share this. This is it, yeah? What we see. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you scroll down, we've run uh, three issues so far. The uh, the uh, That was uh, toward when we assassinated the Soleimani, so to say. But if you keep scrolling down on that screen, you can see the very first edition. This is on the anniversary of 9-11. Uh, it looks very similar. It looks very similar to your, uh, when so you were in within, within the, when you were part of the organization. Yeah. So you take your skill set and you redirect it. So that looks exactly like a copy of uh, Dabik, uh, the first edition of Dabik. But it says the so-called Khilafah and we destroy it. We rip it apart. So I'm using my mastery, so to say, of 
the way that jihadists think in creating a narrative that also attaches itself to the fact that the narrative of extremism has to appeal to the spirit. So the message is very different. And from this single launch of an edition, we were able to uh, dismantle the entire English-speaking most popular Telegram network on Telegram wow. called Greenbirds. And we uh, saw 22 effective interventions come about because when they read it, it was very different. Like it is a very different approach to counter narrative work. It elevates above, it does not demonize, it comes with true empathy. And the way that we disseminated it was a very strategic way. And to this day, people trust me. And so one of the things that people say formers can't achieve, light upon light, has very much disproven. I work with people all over the world that contact no, no. me uh, regularly no. about the uh, about the, the approach that we take. So that worked very well. And then uh, in the end of 2019, we launched the far right wing iteration of it yeah. uh, in Ivan's uh, in Ivan in in uh, in Britain with Ivan as well. Ivan had an article in the first edition of Control Alt Delete Hate. And that's our philosophy. We link the counter messages at the end of every magazine in this every is, isn't it? What's that? This is the that's the, the control song. delete hate method. Yeah, that's the different. Yeah. Uh, that's the far right counter. It's not just far right. It's counter polarization, hate, and extremism because we don't discriminate. You couldn't necessarily have a critical article of Antifa because you just have to deal with way too much stuff on like Twitter and all that. You had to have a cancel culture and like apologize and you know be very wrong to criticize people that burn down government buildings and then criticize other people for marching into others. So uh, at the end of the day, you, you know we 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 do this thing very differently. And the way that we do it is through a paradigm we call control, alt, delete, hate, to control the space between stimulus and response, to paint those grays, to learn how to be comfortable and sit there, uh, and then to alter your course, to take the skills that you have, if you're a former radicalizer and a recruiter, and to direct them in a way, in a manner in life where you can uh, dedicate yourself to doing something different. You don't have to be a public former extremist to leave an extremist movement. There's all kinds of things that you can do, but you need a mentor. And on top of that, to- uh, how, do you, how do you convince them? It's not about convincing. It's about making the path accessible to those that seek it. So people think recruiters recruit for extremism by lurking in deep, dark corners of the mosque or of the Internet and grabbing someone's mind and brainwashing them. And in actuality, it's a two-way street. So what we would quote in a justification for our methodology is the book Amr bin Maruf wa Nahl al-Munkar by Ibn Taymiyyah. And he says in there, it's not the duty of the da'i, the one who calls to Islam, to make, the, make everyone in the world convert to the truth. It is your duty to make the truth accessible to those that seek it. And that worked very well because it changed the way that revolution Muslim uh, did their dissemination. We had to make the truth accessible to those that seek it. How do you do that? You have to narrate it in a way that's conducive to their cultural understanding, to their backgrounds. Yes, indeed. No, there is both elements, wisdom as well as in the best form. When the Quran says best form, that's what this means. It has to be disseminated in a manner which is accessible. Mm -hmm. And it come and 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 understandable for the audience, and you have to take those things into consideration. Talk to the people according to the intellect. Understand? See what you are doing, Jesse, which is really phenomenal. This, and I think um, the elite academics or people who are working within uh, the Western world, mm -hmm. uh, and why they have latched on to and hopefully started to understand what you are trying to do, mm -hmm. is. Because all the ideas and the concepts and the philosophies you have taken from the West as well as from Islam and you've aligned them.
Yes, but the, they are not but, contradictions, but they are very similar. Go for it. Yeah, I mean, and 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 this is an ability from me when people understand that I can articulate my thinking, which is somewhat compatible with what you want to call Western. I don't call it Western. I I get above and beyond a dialogue of civilizations. In the plural is what we talk about, um, and that's a whole nother story uh, and a conversation in itself. Is that I'm showing that I still retain the principles of the religion. And in actuality, uh, I, uh, I believe that I am, despite a lack of following the rules like I used to, this beard could not be trimmed in the past until it got, and even then it was a statement of Ibn Umar. It wasn't a statement from the Prophet, so you had to let it grow. And it was very much uh, like this, but that wasn't healthy for me. What was healthy for me from Islam that I never got was like the beauty of the principle of the axioms that drive it, the connection to the monotheistic where did, creator. Where did that come from? Because you've spoke, you've told us about how you started to read these great thinkers, philosophers, you know, individuals within the Western world. Mm. Where, how did you get exposed to this particular narrative of Islam? Well, which was not rigid, which was not extreme, which was mm -hmm. not giving us a narrative where you, you cannot see the, the the nuances, where you cannot, you're going from that position to a position of seeing the nuances, seeing the beauty, seeing the love, seeing the, you know, this. Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter who it is on the other side, it's mm -hmm. a human being or a creature, I have to care for it. Where uh -huh. did that come from? How I did spent, that happen? I spent 11, 11 months in a cell with uh, only Allah. And I would take those books when the guard would take me out those four days a week, but I couldn't take them back to the cell. So when I go back to the cell, I had Quran. I didn't have the tafsir anymore. So, I, had, so I recite the Quran and I pray for guidance and I reflected on my life and I understood what I had lived up to that point. And me and Allah sat alone for a very long time. Not that you can say that Allah sat with you. Excuse me, Audhu Billah. <laughs> the, the way that we used to think, it would have been impermissible to even say this. Allah sits, Audhu Billah, the kafir. <laughs> right? Uh, and so... Um, khawarij, sat, khawarij yeah, ex exactly, exactly. And so, and so I, uh, you know, I sat alone with God and I sat alone with myself and um, I had deep conversations about who I really was and how loving I was. And I still was a loving jihadist, but I... Never lost love what, and emotion. Hold, let me hold you there. I you just know, hated I was, the far. I no, love the Muslim. Bro, one second, bro. Come on, one second, bro. Go ahead, man. No, go wait, ahead. one second. You go just ahead. said I was a loving jihadist. I was. And, 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 and the amazing thing, the sad thing is that the word jihad or jihadist, yeah, mm -hmm. right, has mm -hmm. today seen as a very negative term, mm -hmm. right? But we, we can talk about soldiers. We can talk about you know our heroes. We can talk about and something I've, I'm 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 all for one hundred percent. I'm with that because I understand these people put their lives on the line for us. Why is it that the word jihad jihadist has been seen as something alien and something like oh, these are worst people on earth? Well, my good friend Mark Sageman refuses to call them jihadists. He calls them neo jihadists because he says jihad is a part of Islam. Yeah. This is do not let's not get this twisted, but it doesn't mean physical jihad. And he's right, he's right to say so. A jihadist who is fighting against Bashar al-Assad, who is not worried about killing civilians or fighting with those that disagree with them in Syria, might very well still be a jihadist. 
and might be fighting just war uh, and justly. And this is the problem with the way that we have understood things, right? But the jihad, like all extremists, love their in-group, right? So I was defined by love, but I actually was defined by hatred because the principles of love and compassion, it didn't look at each individual as an individual who should have to be judged based upon the merits of their self. It looked at what group do you belong to? Yes, yes. That's the problem we live in today. We're stuck in that, right? Yeah. And in order to overcome tribalism and to elevate to a next level of consciousness, you have to learn that every individual is in it. You know, from being an extremist movement to Ivan, people are horribles, you know. But on the aggregate, people are self-centered and behave this way. It's, a, it's something that anytime you get involved in groupthink, so how you elevate above that is you can have an identity that is Muslim, but I learned in that cell alone with God that you and your relationship with God, and this is where the enlightenment thinking comes in. This is where Thomas Paine comes in. This is where the founding fathers come in. This is where all of that comes in, is you, if you're going to stand in front of your creator, you don't want to have to be forced to study just at the hands of a sheikh and memorize wrote memorization. You want to feel your love. You want to feel your connection to God. And the way that you do that uh, in a situation like I was in is you cry a lot. You process trauma a lot. You're in therapy but with God. And who better to be you in know, therapy with? Uh, maybe sometimes you can use a mentor or a guide. I didn't have one. But I do know that uh, in my mind, I was able to reconfigure things. And I was able to take a heart that had a lot of desire to help the poor and the oppressed, who I was told the poor and the oppressed were, and to apply it to humanity in general and anyone that I come into contact with did. based upon the merits of whether they deserve it or not. So you had in a spiritual enlightenment. Mm, I don't know. I think life is a journey and a process. I don't know if I would call it an enlightenment because I don't think that uh, I am in, in, in enlightened. I had a spiritual experience that ah. made the negative lived experience that I had. And from a Christian sense. concept, in a Christian concept, you were reborn. Yeah, it depends. I mean, you can't be reborn just by accepting something as your... You're a savior. You want to be reborn. You have to uh, put the work in, you know? So like, yes, from the Christian concept, it is the concept of rebirth. But I don't, but I don't know because you're still yourself and you have to hold on to yourself because in order to forgive yourself, you can't forget who you were. You have to understand how who you were and the energy that's inside of us all was allocated towards a wrong-headed perspective. But if you really want to overcome it, you got to yeah. tell yourself, I'm sorry, you, you, you're still worthy of being loved. You know, and, and that's, that's the, and that's really the secret of pulling people out of these movements is to allow them to feel that yeah. kind of in-group love that they get and to experience with a group that's built on antithetical principles to those extremists provide, but provides the same sincerity. Truly. Now, Ivan, I know you came you came across something similar when you were at BBC. It was at BBC, BBC Three program, wasn't it, about covering the tattoo or something around the tattoo. Um it's a similar type of conversation that, look, yeah. I don't want to forget my past. Tell me what happened. Yeah, that was it. Um, that video I did three or four years ago went viral and somebody from the BBC noticed the EDL tattoo I got. I mean, I'm there, still got it. Uh, they offered it to cover up, cover up for me to, to move on in my life. And I sort of said, no, I don't need to move on by covering my tail up. That's part of who I was. 
I want to keep it there so in future I know look at that I've come from, do you know what I mean? And then I did manage to blag him into getting a positive one done on my other one, do you know what I mean? But for for just the thought of me to get rid of that chain just wasn't an option. Because that's covering up who I was. And the thing is that journey is important, even for yourself and people who um, you influence or you change. That they're not, you don't have to let go of your past, but you learn from your past. And I think, Jesse, that has become an issue, especially with the youth as youngsters. Many of us don't know our reality of our past. We are, we are the children of the empire. We become, it's so easy sometimes for us to fall into extremities. People mm -hmm. say, oh yeah, you are this, you are that. And one of the key areas that me and you works in, uh, Jesse, is that we work a lot. We do a lot of work in schools. And one of the things that we keep on countering again and again is about identity and belonging. We mm -hmm. talk about that, we discuss that. We're talking from, from primary school all the mm -hmm. way college universities. Mm -hmm. And what we've seen is that there is a lack of that within our academic educational structure. Mm -hmm. So someone, a lot of children won't know what the reality of the history was of Britain ruling over India, for example, mm -hmm. what really happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And someone who's done a little bit of study, right, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. can use that to mm -hmm. create hate. Right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a very simple historical fact that mm -hmm. how the British treated your forefathers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, mm -hmm. and so it is highly important. So, and, and, so when you say that historic it's important for you to know where you came from mm -hmm. but it has to be done in a way where you have a holistic understanding where you mm -hmm. came from yeah well that's because the way we teach people it's the same thing as studying at the feet of a jihadist cleric you have to memorize facts and like most people realize that the stuff they learned in high school right it did not give them something they remember today what it did is it gave them a skill set and it built a character that largely would be carried on throughout the rest of their life it builds responsibility if it's done properly but what real education should do is build awareness self-awareness understanding of critical thinking and cognitive biases we should be training people about trauma and the fact that we are all going to experience this and that there are ways of life that are healthy for us to live and that's what muslims can uh, have a, a dynamic that is provided in healthy communities that are islamic um is really powerful right because the whole society is based upon social connection and one of the things that made the islamic empires and they're not really empires at the height and zenith of their ruling because they were so decentralized and the islamic system the middle system made it very impossible to sort of you know, not allow Jews and Christians to have their own little uh, communities and networks is that's what we need to do. We need to allow culture to flourish and to not have culture appropriated by consumerism. Yes. Right. And so we need to have meaning to our lives. We're human beings that need meaning and nothing that we offer in our educational systems teach us how to define meaning. They don't ask us to define meaning. And if we have meaning and purpose and we're living with a purpose to our lives and we know whether we believe in God or whatever is not the point, you can be a total humanist and be an atheist and believe that what you should do with your life is something that leaves a legacy that has meaning and purpose and that is interesting. We don't peak curiosity. We don't peak consciousness. What we do is we give rote memorization of facts and we give rigor. And that's important. We need science. We need technology. We need to put the tools in place for the kids that will gravitate towards those fields to gravitate towards those fields. But we need to build character. And instead... You know, I, I'm, see, I do a lot of work. I'm going to hold you there. 
Yep, go ahead. Holiday. You know, I, I work, I do a lot of work with kids, young children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And one of the most powerful things I've learned from children is why. Mm -hmm. Why? Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is, and when you look at human psychology, when you look at how we develop as human beings, the why is the thing that makes us human. Uh -huh. Yeah, the questioning of that. You know what? What you are what you are talking about is exactly this point. Mm -hmm. But do okay. not just take something as face value. Uh -huh. Question it. Uh -huh. Find the nuance in it. Find mm -hmm. different aspects and elements to it. And mm -hmm. I learned I learned that by working with young children, mm -hmm. that because they are inquisitive, because mm -hmm. they want to understand their surroundings, mm -hmm. they won't just take your word for it. Mm -hmm. go, but why do I have to do this? Why can't mm -hmm. I do this? Why can't I go there? You have to mm -hmm. give explanation. And I think one of the key things, and you're right to say this, that one has to understand that there is more to just one particular narrative. There mm -hmm. are many, many aspects. And, and, and I think that is exactly it. Mm -hmm. Once we do that, and I think mm -hmm. a lot of people that you work with, and you've got, you got something on the website, which I think is phenomenal. You've got something called shapeshifters. Mm -hmm. And you have some amazing people on there because it's not only yourself or I intend to do this. And I want to bring them on. I want mm -hmm. to bring that up and I want you to shed some light on that as well. That, that there's there's so many, it's not because extremists have all types. Mm -hmm. And some may suit with one, may not suit with the other, which I yeah, think yeah. is really, really cool. And I want to share that. So could you shed some light on who these people are and why have you have also chosen to go down this particular route of including these individuals as well sure so we have uh, the paradigm is control alt, delete hate so the process that we take people through is to control the space between stimulus and response alter course make a commitment to nonviolence, and do something with your life that can make amends if you leave a movement and then hate to delete hate is to really impart a better under awareness like we now everybody thinks the sky is falling because of domestic extremism we've been talking about this stuff for three years and preparing for this moment particularly with the light upon light paradigm that links to shift hate which is support and help for individuals and families touched by hate. That's the intervention component that's plugged by the counter-messaging material. And then this, what you're seeing here, is a byproduct of what we call save hate, which is society against violent extremism and hate. And it's very important for us to understand that, like, if I'm working with an individual, and of course, as we evolve, things will get better, but we're testing the waters, we're learning systems, we're changing the field, actually. People steal our stuff all the time, it's great. Um, and. Uh, and uh, you have a one-on-one -on -one conversation you convince an individual to leave an extremist movement. The question that they have is after the whys that you're talking about. The question that they have next is, and what if? What Where do if? I go? And right. so as a scholar put it in a topic that explored the, uh, socialize, the sociological aspects of group belongment with regard to joining extremist group like ISIS, title of the paper was great. I actually rip it off quite frequently. It says... <laughs> It's a it, it's group, not God. Right. And I think that that's what's important in de-radicalization, too, because what you find is group belonging, meaning, significance, purpose, camaraderie when you join an extremist movement. If I'm going to tell a person that you need to leave a movement and then just drop them off, like what the people that criticize us want us to do is tell them that they have to go behind closed doors and punish themselves because they used to be a white supremacist. And they can't talk publicly because they might trigger someone by sharing their story and they should go suffer and squalor and have nothing. What we do is we put people around those individuals, right? We put new people, I'll introduce them to an Ivan, I'll introduce them to Daryl Davis, I'll make a call, you know, uh, and uh, introduce them to other people that work with our organization and they get to know them and they have access if they choose to do so, to join our organization and to become a part of our family, right? And oh, that, you that, just hit the nail on the head, you, you just said it. And they're helping um, us achieve our objectives. Yeah. 
You right? used, and you so, used the word family. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's and, exactly what you've did. You're giving, but then, you're giving them love. Yes, but we have them to check. And cool. inside of and inside of our family, we've had all kinds of drama, right? So we have to solidify the ability to build a real family with real people because you know it, it you you have to have people working if you're gonna do counter-violent extremism, the people have to be sincere and they have to know what they're doing, right? And they have to know what they're doing. And we're happy that we have arrived. We've done so much uh, since we launched in June of 2019 it is now less than two years of having a public facing website 120 uh, i i it's actually more because we were doing interventions before so it's 120 since we launched the website mm-hmm. at least effective like interventions that i can tally and like think of their names inside of my head every day and even before that like preparing to do them like and we have people reach out all the time sisters from uh, uh, stuck in Syria, you know, trust me, don't trust the international community. And we want them to, and we implore people to continue to reach out like this. People in, 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 in the rest of the world now benefiting from the trauma encountering violent extremism informed approach I'm innovating with. It's been so fun, but it's amazing to see the, uh, the fact that the field that we work in is not familial. And it doesn't understand the importance of being a good family to people and being sincere and being honest because people steal our stuff. People manipulate us all the time. And it's just, but that's okay because when you're engaged in a struggle to change something and to make something holistically whole, you're going to experience those troubles along the way. And so what you see with the shapeshifter page is the people that we've really centered in on that we think are part of our family, but that are also qualified to work with someone, you know, that needs their help. You know, and you can offer them a menu and a selection. We've grown a lot more selective with regard to who we work with. But uh, yes, that's uh, what shapeshifters are. They are interventionists. And they're interventionists and they're phenomenal people. And some of them uh, we've had the honor to mm-hmm. even bring on, on this sure. particular, particular platform. And Jesse, you know, I, I when we do our deliveries as well, and one of the key things I always say is that extremists use something called dehumanization to justify the killing and the murder of normal mm-hmm. human beings mm-hmm. but sadly we do the same mm-hmm. we dehumanize them we call mm-hmm. them monsters we call That's them right. evil we call them devils <laughs> right and but once an individual wants to change our individual has made and have have, have reflected and thought and in your case you um started by de-radicalizing or at least reflecting over your personal state going mm-hmm. to the library coming back into your uh, you know solitary confinement state reflecting over yourself reading the quran you know and looking at yourself is this what islam really is no it must be more than this it's about love it's about compassion it's about understanding and then you get to a place where you say wow i want to get out of this and sadly what you come across is no you're a monster you're a killer you're a murderer. How does one deal with that? Well, where you've made a, where you made not a everybody, fear. not everybody could. And a lot of people want to leave these movements, but they don't have an alternative. And so, you know, that's what you have to provide them. You can't just provide them an, an answer to their questions and come at them as if I'm going to show you why you're wrong, which is what happens, whether we realize it or not a lot in this intervention space, you have to provide them something. You know, and you have to pro- pro- provide them a mentor a lot of times because people aren't strong enough to walk away on their own. Or in the event, that it's not even about strong enough to walk away on their own. That, that's, that's the wrong way to put it. It's there's, um, there's something to be said for having a guide because it's a courageous step to take. 
right? And there's something to be said for having somebody to talk to. Like I used to talk to an OG and I mean a, 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 a former gangster in the prison system. You know, that was my, he was my, my mentor. You know, he had come from running as a kingpin in um, Newark, New Jersey and, 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 uh, and, and Harlem, New York, uh, you know, back in the day, like people that movies were made about, you know, and walking around the yard and he had become a Muslim uh, in prison and now was sending some of the money that he had remaining uh, from his days as a drug dealer back into the Newark community to do gang uh, violence reduction. Yes. And like, I wanted to find out from the old timer because he was like 75 years old, like, what have you learned from all that experience? And that was mentorship, you know, walking the track inside of a federal facility and finding an individual that has, you know, really gone through the transformative process can be a model for you. And I had many, you know, along the way, you know, people that, and so it, a lot of times it is that one-on-one interventionist that can do that, but you have to be able to put yourself inside of a new group too. You don't have to be a public former, but you got to find some way for them in their community to be aware of different things or to encourage them to do so. But it's a process. Um, and it is really difficult because that's why they, uh, individuals that come to us, one of the only reasons that they come to us is because we don't do that. You know, and we know that a lot of the other organizations that claim to get interventions or that have helplines or that, you know, they fabricate. Because everybody that we talk to, we're like, you know, why don't you go see them? Because we want to know. And they're like, because they went from the far right to the far left and they don't understand our movement and they don't, they don't, they don't talk to people like they're human, you know, and that they send a message of arrogance and superiority. And, uh, and, and so we know how extremists really see what is being offered to them to de-radicalize and they perceive it to be dehumanizing. And all you have to do is ask them. But usually the intervention's about telling people why they're wrong. It's not about asking them how they see the world or who they are. See Jesse, you see the way when I'm, when I'm listening to you, and I know you see it seems very radical the way you're speaking because well, the I am world, radical, yeah. yeah. And the world, uh, I'm see, benevolently radicalized, like yeah. the, my friend Ken Reedy <laughs> says. You can, you should be non-violently pro-socially radicalized. We have to make this field work. Yeah. This no, no, field I'm, of practice yeah. that we are engaged in, it's yeah. a moral responsibility for us to get yeah. this right. Yes. These are these are civilian yeah. lives on the line here. This is not an industry. You know, if you want to if you want to study radicalization and extremism, go into law enforcement or a component of this industry that can, you know, do something for the good of people. And and, and to not say that there's problems with what we're offering people the way right now to talk about the Capitol riots all day long for months and months right now as we speak in Minneapolis, there's another autonomous zone by far leftists that have taken over six blocks of an entire city. The business owners, the homeowners don't want them there, but they consider it Same theirs. And, 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 and an African-American is shot what? within that autonomous zone, right? Because it's the same community that George Floyd was killed in. And they don't let the medics onto the street to help the individual. Now, if you would think for one minute this goes against the, the Geneva Convention. Yeah, if the Proud Boys were to take five blocks of American city over tomorrow, and an African American would be shot that was a resident of those facilities, of those blocks, and they would not let, you know, the medics in to help that individual, and that individual died, and his own mother denounced, and she's an advocate and an activist for Michael Floyd, 
right? And, tr- and, f- and, and, and for the situation that is unfolding in Minneapolis right now. And there's not one publicated ar- article on it. Think about if it was a white supremacist group. The international media, even in Britain, would be flying right now to Minneapolis to cover it. And we don't have the backbone because the spoiled little kids that have taken over cancel culture and are pushing this narrative are conducting attacks every day that destroy property and that have an objective of tearing down capitalism and tearing down our society. And I agree, let them riot, let them let them scream, let them get out their anxiety. That's not a solution. But the fact that the people that we want to leave white supremacy have to see that contradiction and hypocrisy because of money and who's in power. You're not in this field for the right reasons. And so, yes, that's radical. That that's radical. absolutely yeah. radical to say, then, as, it should be, as it should be, because it needs to be said. Yeah, And, keeping, and there's all it, kinds of other things you could say. Yeah, of course. No, no, it's important. It fine. Because I know, I know, we, we you're thinking of launching the magazine in Britain mm-hmm. as well, all right. So you'll be coming over onto this side of the pond as well. Inshallah, and, I'd and love to. Some of the work, Alhamdulillah, that you are doing, I know yourself and Ivan work very, very closely. Ivan has done uh, a number of articles for yourself as well. Your view, uh, I look, I've worked with Ivan for a number of years, uh, Jesse. Uh, what you are saying resonates within my heart and, of course, the heart of Ivan as well. And one of the key things I've seen is that you are about the human being, regardless of what the exterior looks like, regardless of how, you know, um, scary it may seem, you look at the mushy bit inside that human being. And I think as as the mainstream, and in fact, you touched on something very, very important. Sadly, we have so many extremities in our society, uh, not only the far, far right, but the far left, Islamist, whatever. And we need to find um, what the Quran says, ummatan wasata, mm-hmm. the, the central nation, mm-hmm. the central people. The balance think, to collective, yes. Yes, yes, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I think the centralization, which is really difficult for people. Look, I, I, you know, some of, the, some of the areas where I get the opportunity to work, people get really worried, really, they have a concern mm-hmm. with that. They go, how can you work with people who've done this, 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 this? I go, mm-hmm. one minute. They've done mm-hmm. it. They've been, they've been judged. Right mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. what is my duty? My duty is to support and help them to think a different way, yeah, and become more productive citizen and participants mm-hmm. of society. I can't. That can't be one extreme or the other extreme. It has to be a central way of doing it. And I think both of yourselves, you know, big up to both of you. You know, the, may the Lord Almighty give both of you strength. Uh, I think the our today's conversation was really powerful. You know, it gives a glimpse into, Jesse, how you think, how you reflect. You have this amazing psychological ability to reflect over 10, 15, 20, 30 different things at one time. And make. And, and I think when it comes to de-radicalization, as you know of radicalization, because you were one of them as well, that is a process of doing that. And I think for our listeners and hopefully for our future uh, when when we'll get more of you on on this particular mm-hmm. platform and other platforms, and hope I know yourself and Ivan work very very closely, and hopefully mm-hmm. we can do more of this because mm-hmm. it is about the human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. And I will end by uh, saying a statement that to, we should all adhere to that are in this space that are trying to look at ways to combat these things that we see. Like Margaret Mead, she said, everybody quotes it, never doubted a 
small group of people can change the world. In fact, it's the only thing that ever has. But, you know, the way that I understand the Prophet Muhammad now is kind of with the Quran, he brought not a center pass, not Ummatun Wasaltuha, because Wasaltuha is, 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 is a balance, but it's a balance that's of perfection. And so and to say to take a central path is a little bit uh, different than what we need right now. Because what the Prophet Muhammad did is he came to a desert Arabian people who had no written word and he brought, but were poetic in their own right. They had their civilization. They were known for their poetry. And here comes Quran and it shatters in the brevity and the conciseness in the beauty of the speech. And it created a literacy movement. It was yeah. based upon people being able to read and to recite and to learn about language and activating elevated levels of language spread throughout the world and created a salvation that was truly a consciousness shift, right? And so that's exactly what we need in this, in, in, in this day and age. And it's very important, you know, to keep going in a direction, you know, to take from those stories and those narratives of those individuals that you hold and that you value. And it's amazing for me that I can use my prophet and our prophets uh, as a guide uh, unto today, you know, and to and to see from that how the stories that we hold dear and they become the stories that we tell about ourselves and to emulate people who are now no longer waging jihad to conquer the world because Islam was come from the beginning to, you know, to, to be superior over all other ways of life and waving your hand like Anjum Shaldri and screaming and hollering. It's a strategic, tactful peaceful state of existence that is Islam that I think that Western societies still have a lot to learn from. And I also think the principles in the religion of Islam have a lot to give um, the field of preventing and countering violent extremism. You know, uh, I remember, you know, Hamza, you, do you know um, Yusuf Islam, Cat Stevens? Cat Stevens, yeah. The singer, yeah. Mm -hmm. he, was, he, was in, he was doing an interview, and, and in an interview he said, if I had met Muslims before I got introduced to Islam, I would have... Yeah, I remember this. That was a very powerful statement. In fact, it, it, it says a lot about how Muslims practice the Islam. We mm. say it's about love. It's about mm -hmm. compassion. It's about mercy. It's about mm -hmm. understanding. It's about knowing that all humans, regardless of their background, regardless of their religion, regardless of what they are and how they are, and all creatures, we have an obligation towards to care for and to look after. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, and 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 the thing is, and 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 the point that you are making is is a profound. And the reality of our situation is, we need to practice what we. Claim to preach. Yes. And this is, the, this is the essence of, you know, the simplistic world that the extremists split the world into is kufar, munafikin, and, uh, and believers, meaning uh, eradicating hypocrisy from inside of your own community is more important, right, yes. than dealing with the enemy, so to say. And we have become an enemy to our own selves. And I'm not talking the Muslim community. I'm talking about the people of the West in general. And like, it's really time that we need a reformist sort of, we need energy in the direction of being able to elevate and to have some level of multiculturalism that still has a spiritual ethos. And what we have right now is we have decentralized notions that don't have that cohesion, that 
They're not feeding the soul. They're just smashing cop cars. Yes. Right? They're just hating black people for no sense. Jihadists hating. We have hate everywhere. Um, and um, I think that it's important for as many people as possible to adopt the principle of like, every time you interact with another human being, if you just try to be the best you can be to them, that in and of itself for the rest of your life, trying to look at every encounter that you have with an individual is divinely written. And I try to think, even the gas station attendant is an opportunity to pay attention and to be present. You can play, you can have fun, you can be humorous. It doesn't mean you have to be serious and like straight face, but just look at each exchange as an opportunity to just convey humanity. Yes. Right? And people are so afraid of people that walk around like that and 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 and, and having begun you know having become a person who is able to do that and pay attention to it. People People don't trust it. People are so scared of each other. <laughs> yeah, it's very alien to them. Yeah. Like, yeah. Why, is, why is he being nice? Yeah, uh, or and it's not even, like, you can see, like, fake nice <laughs> with uh, some level of just trying to be nice or whatever, but just, like, to look at each opportunity to engage, just like this, to three people no, talking. You no. never know. Maybe we have two people listening in or two people that watch it later or maybe 200. It doesn't matter because maybe it's that one person that needs to hear the conversation. And then everything becomes mean. It's meaningful. Everything that you do, even the smallest things that you do, have meaning. And then you don't have to be an a, an Instagram influencer, you know, or someone who has fame and fortune, because you can look at the microcosm that is your world, and you can do what you can. And it's like the NA principle: like God give me the courage to change, you know, the things that I can, you know, whatever it is. The serenity prayer is a beautiful prayer. You know, is that you can only change it in Islam? We say, you know, God doesn't change the condition of a person until he changes what is inside of himself. So, and if you just turn inward, you start to do the best you can do, the ratio of work that you do on yourself will manifest itself in your external world. I firmly believe that that is a divine principle of the nature of our existence. It is, it, you know, we have something within our tradition called tazkiyah, tazkiyah mm -hmm. to nafs, mm -hmm. you know, cleansing of the self, reflection. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's a, a, I, don't, I don't know what your study is around uh, Ghazali, Imam Ghazali, Hamdul Ghazali. Now, he's a prime example of an individual who lived in the world, who studied well, who was a highly educated individual, who had a very prominent position in a, in a, in a, in a, in a governance. He leaves all of that to find himself. Mm -hmm. Yes. And when he yes. found himself, then others start to find what he really was about. Mm -hmm. In reality, and I think that 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 reality and essence of reality is important. Mm -hmm. Once we get to that, who am I? What am I? What is my purpose? Why am I here? Mm -hmm. And I think Jesse, wow, man, the conversation was buzzing. I've got to well, give it to you. you know me. I mean, no, no, thank you for coming down, man. Do you know what I'm saying? Ivan, my man, are there any words of importance for yourself? Now, just just to thank Jesse for coming on again, uh, twice in fact, one after week after the next. Is there any last sort of thoughts you've got, Jesse, that appear a bit of hope within? I mean, I, I, I think that the conversation was full of hope. I, I, I think that it's uh, something that um, we can all be grateful that uh, things are in the crisis that we face going to be an opportunity coming up. But I do don't, I don't think that we should be looking for solutions from the same system or the same order that we've come to grow accustomed with. I think we should be truly elevating above 
all the division and trying to induce a new enlightenment, if you will, which takes us back to a key component of today's conversation. So may Allah give you strength. May Allah Almighty give all of strength to be sincere in our work. Jesse, Amen. it has been a great honor to have a conversation with you, to go through your journey, go through your life. Um, for us, like when you studied Malcolm X and you found the nuances and you saw something in him, today I'm going to be blunt. I also see that in you. And I think you have a very sincere, very clear way of dealing with this. And I pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that what you did when you were in that system, that you could, you're using that anyway, that more people are uh, de-radicalized and they start understanding themselves and they become much more functioning human beings in the system. Guys, you were listening to Creating the Conversation podcast. Our awesome, awesome guest, Jesse Morton. Guys, you can go online, light upon light online. Check that out. Check the so, you know the material on there, which will really help yourself, your families. And there's so many aspects and elements to learn on there. The people that these guys got on there are some of the most inspirational human beings that I have the honor to read, to meet, and to see. And hopefully, hopefully, once this COVID thing goes, elapses, we can be in the same physical space with you. Mm, that would be so beautiful. Hopefully. I'd love, I'd love, I'd love, really I'd love to see the UK someday if they would. Definitely, uh, let me definitely, definitely. No, I'm saying we can have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or maybe some uh, Pakistani cha, bro. Definitely. Pakistani yeah, cha, bro. That's what we're gonna do, guys. Peace Thanks, out. Man. Look after yourself. Good to see you, Ivan. Good to see you, Ivan. Thank you for having me. Talk to you later. Don't go anywhere, bro. Don't go anywhere. I know. I know. I know the drill. <laughs>